Hello, this is Erin Weir. The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with my co-host, Gail Dobie of Gail Dobie Coaching and Consulting. We are thrilled to be joined by the extraordinary Mike McCallowitz today on the podcast. Mike is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Profit First, Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan, and his newest book, Fix This Next. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and regularly travels the globe as an entrepreneurial advocate. Welcome, Mike. It's so great to have you again. And I'm looking forward to your coming back and doing Genius Exchange for the third time for us next year in 2021. So thank you for being here this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for talking about your brand new book, Fix This Next. Well, it's my pleasure to talk about my book, right? To promote myself. I am just pumped to come back to your events, Gail. They are so well run. The proof is the energy just in that community. I love hearing from the folks. And it's not just, uh, you know, when I'm there at the event, um, people follow up via emails. They tell me about the results they're getting, what they're doing, the actions they're taking. So I cannot wait to return. No. To well, we're looking forward to it. You're always so much fun. You are uh, the most popular speaker we've had. Oh, cool. And um, that's according don't to Don't invite any more speakers. I want to retain that title. <laughs> no one I don't think you're, you're going to have too much uh, competition there. So. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about your book. And I, I love, of course, I've read all of your books and the the story behind Fix This Next. I think I'd like to hear that. How did you come to write this particular book? So I, I emailed my readership. This is about five years ago. It takes me about five years to write a book. So I'm, I'm working on one right now, but I also have two others that are building. I'm always working on multiples. The inception, though, is to ask my readership to say, what is your biggest challenge now? And um, admittedly, I'm not the most technically savvy guy. I sent out the same request. What's your biggest challenge in the year ahead? Three times on the same day. I must have triple clicked or something. <laughs> and some people, the same people, responded to the same question, their biggest annual challenge, with different answers on the same day. Like, Interesting. Yeah. One guy in the morning is like, oh, our problem is sales. And then in the afternoon, he's like, no, our problem is systems. In the evening, it was hiring or, or, or vision. It was very clear, and this became the thesis for the book, that the biggest challenge business owners face is knowing what their biggest challenge is. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So we're in this constant rush to address apparent issues and ignore the impactful. In fact, there's a popular phrase saying that we prioritize urgency over importance. I, I want to tweak that. I, I don't even know if we prioritize urgency. What I believe happens for most entrepreneurs absolutely happens for myself. I come in with a plan for the day or for the month or year. But when I get in, it's that first email that pops up or the first person knocks on my door and says, I have a question that my day, my plan goes awry. Right now, you or I, Gail, could just go into email and find 50 or 100 things that we can do right now, all these apparent issues. It's we, the entrepreneur, who then places urgency on it. Like, okay, this is the one I tackle. And we continually ignore the important. So 
with this book, if a business owner feels that they work, they grind constantly, but they're never moving forward permanently, this is the solution for it because we're going to find the one thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And of course, that's one of many. It's usually there's just one and then you have to get the others that come right behind it as well, right? It's a sequential, exactly. It's a sequential mm-hmm. thing. It's like walking. You first put your right foot forward and then your left foot forward and the right. And uh, you don't move both feet forward at the same time. You, you just can't. You fall. Well, in business, consider this. Pretend you and I had a chain. Mm-hmm. We have a chain between us and the game we're going to play is it's, it's break this chain. Well, no matter what we do, as long as we apply force to it, at a certain point it'll break, but it always breaks the same point, the weakest link. Now, I could try to yank it really quickly or give you some slack or wave it around, but the chain will always break at the weakest link. Mm -hmm. To strengthen the chain, there's only one link we need to fix, the weakest. Most entrepreneurs focus on nothing. Therefore, they try to do everything. They, they, They fix every link. They say, oh, this one's important now, and this one, and this one. They're going after all the apparent. But if you keep on strengthening the links, but don't focus on resolving the weakest link, it snaps just as easy at the weakest link. And to your point, once we fix this weakest link, when it's strengthened, the next weakest link will present itself in another part of that chain. So to strengthen the chain is always focus on the one weakest link at a time, improve that, and then the next. Our Mm -hmm. business is just like that chain. Well, I think a lot of people have a difficult time identifying what that is. And I know you've used this hierarchy that I know you're going to talk about in just a second, but that hierarchy does help you identify. But sometimes it's really hard to get clear on that if you're right in the middle of the the pudding, so to speak. So so um, hard. Yeah. The reason I think is because we rely on instinct, uh, gut. And mm-hmm. that is a very effective system for self-preservation, but not for business preservation. You see, when, when it comes to our own survival, you know when you're hungry, I know when I'm thirsty. Those are survival elements. The reason that triggers off is because we're neurologically wired into ourselves. If you and I were walking back from one of the events and we say, hey, let's go to a restaurant to debrief, and um, we decide to take a shortcut down a, a dark alley, and all of a sudden, like something doesn't feel right here, you know, we better turn around. Harm is going to be put upon us. The reason we know that is our senses, sight, hearing, smell. They send signals to our brain and our brain says, oops, turn around. That's the gut feel. But we're not neurologically wired into our business, yet we act like we are. Like, oh, my gut says I got to run more Facebook ads. That's what people are doing. Or I need to focus on serving this one client great and ignore uh, all the other stuff that's going on right now. My gut just tells me that. But we're not neurologically wired. We don't have the inputs of sight, hearing, all those senses in the business. But what our business does have is data. So what I talk about in Fix This Next is very simple ways to extract data, empirical data. If we want to know if Facebook is working or not, we can simply look at the analytics to prove it. And there's analytics available for our entire business, but it doesn't need to be overwhelming. In most cases, it's simply a yes or no. We just got to look at those values. That is our senses for a business. And then we can see where we reside in this hierarchy of what the business needs from us. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I'm getting from that too is that, and I think this is true, when I do coaching with clients, I find that a lot of times they're using their emotions to run their business and they're not necessarily using their logic. And so what you're actually suggesting is using the logic first to identify that problem. Yeah, I believe emotion's a great beacon. Like if something doesn't feel right, I think it's worthy inspect- of inspecting. There's a, 
a saying for safety, say, see something, say something. It doesn't mean you're right, but something doesn't feel right. That needs to then be backed with an investigation, empirical mm -hmm. data, something mm -hmm. needs to be looked at. So if, if our gut in our business says, mm, something's not right this marketing, let's investigate it, but we got to extract the data to prove it. And we also have, to have the courage of saying that, you know what, my instinct was wrong here. My gut was wrong here. We have to have the courage to say, maybe what I thought is true is not true. And the data will reveal that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of your omen system? Yes. So when you do this analysis in the business hierarchy of need, you'll identify what's called a vital need. It's the weakest chain link at the moment in your business, mm -hmm. the one that needs to be fixed. And just like uh, our own personal needs, we move around. At some points, you know, we have to eat or drink or our survival's compromised. But once we have a satisfied stomach, then we can move on to higher level needs like community uh, and maybe even self-actualization. Those are terms from Maslow. In the business hierarchy of needs, there's different level needs that present themselves at any given time. We bounce around. Once we identify the specific next weakest link, vital need for the business, we then use this process called OMEN. It's an acronym and it stands for setting an objective. So say uh, I have an efficiency problem that I've identified. Well, the objective may be as simple as to improve efficiency. Then we have the M, it stands for measurements. This is the data we talked about. Mm -hmm. How will I know I improve the efficiency to the degree I want? We set measurements. And I think for most business owners, we know we need to do this. I mean, we do do it, but we abandon the system here. We say, I got to improve efficiency and I'll know uh, we've improved efficiency, you know, by achieving X. And then we do a set it and forget it. We come back a month later and say, oh, how did we do on that? Or a year later, it's like, oh my gosh, I totally abandoned that. It's the other two elements of OMEN that we need. E stands for evaluation frequency. This is a calendared event. We actually put it in our calendar and say, you know, once a week, let's check in to see our progress on this. It's, it's kind of a Goldilocks. You want it just right. Checking weekly maybe is appropriate, but some cases maybe monthly, maybe sometimes every second. Like if you own Amazon, checking mm. your client conversion every second is appropriate because the volume. But for my little business, checking every second is overwhelming and unnecessary. Checking about once a week is more appropriate. You know, Boeing, who sells what, you know, 10, 10 airplanes a year or something, checking every week is a little bit overwhelming. We maybe check once a month or once a quarter. The final one, N, stands for nurture. And this points back to the earlier concept of giving ourselves the liberty to change and not necessarily right, right out of the gate. So when we set an objective, when we set the measurements and we say we're going to check this in weekly, we may not hit the objectives we set. So then we simply ask ourselves why. Well, one reason is maybe we're not performing appropriately, but the other thing is maybe those objectives were the wrong objectives in the first place. You know, we did it from a context of what we knew, but maybe we don't need better client conversion. Maybe we simply need better prospects. So maybe it's a little bit more downstream. So the nurture is simply every time we evaluate a business, questioning ourselves, did we set this right? And is there a way to enhance it? One little tweak here is if you have other people in your firm, your organization that work with you, part-time help or whatever, or even vendors, whoever's closest to the challenge you're trying to fix can often give insights that we as the business owner can't see. So get another person involved and say, how can we improve this? What do you see that maybe I don't see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're also suggesting that you go back to your clients and see, or customers, whatever they might be, and um, ask them what they see and what they want. The number one most valuable form of feedback I found that we don't seek is customer feedback. We often assume, oh, the customer I think wants this. 
if we're leading off with, I think that's a very dangerous thing, we need to know what the customer wants. And so you simply inquire with them and say, how can we serve you better? Now, the customer may not be able to give you the solution, but they'll give you the need. There's a classic example of this. Um, I think it was Henry Ford who said, if I asked customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Mm-hmm. What, what he was saying is they didn't know they needed a car, but they did say they wanted something faster. The onus on us is providing the solution, which in that case was a car. But if he didn't ask what they wanted, he would have thought they were maybe complacent with what they, what they had, but they weren't complacent. They wanted a faster horse. So do ask your customers. They may not have the solution, but they'll definitely identify the need. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's important to understand what their, their problems are and their problems change. And that's one of the things I've noticed with time working with my clients is that the people, when they first start working with me, have a particular couple of problems. And then as we go, we find that they, they're traditionally going through a series of um, issues that they have to solve. So just having this idea of your hierarchy makes a heck of a lot of sense. Right. And there's always context. Um, so with the COVID pandemic, businesses change, customer expectations change. What's interesting, at least what I'm experiencing in our own area, there's actually an explosive demand for interior design, for staging homes in particular, real estate in my area. And I'm like, why is this? So I talked with an interior designer and uh, she told me something very eye-opening. She said, oh, there's a mass exodus from New York City. Mm -hmm. In fact, for many cities, people are leaving because of the proximity, uh, COVID has shut everything down. It's hard to even get some basic needs addressed. So it's better and cheaper to come to the more suburban or rural areas. So there's this massive explosion. It's interesting of how these real estate agents and designers and stagers are now positioning themselves for uh, this new need. It's difficult. I've never done it, but uh, moving from an urban setting to a rural setting is a difficult transition. And uh, there's this new need. There's a, a something that a customer needs to learn on the fly. This wasn't something that happened just two years ago or a year ago before COVID hit. So to your point, um, it's not just the customer's need, it's the customer's need within the context of what's going on today. It's so interesting watching how it's happening. And I have to tell you, I was surprised. I wasn't sure what was going to come out of the COVID situation because I was in New York on March 14th. <laughs> I was Where trying to yeah, I was. I was just trying to get home and I and that was my last uh trip on a plane uh since then. So I wasn't sure would our industry make it through this and it has and it actually has come on stronger. So right. who would have known? But we're happy for that. Who would have known? Um and I'll tell you the people that have likely won are the people that allow themselves to say I don't know what to anticipate or what's coming, but I do know I need to adjust. And I see, um, I'll give you an example outside of this industry, restaurants. A lot of restaurants still are shut down, at least for interior dining. Um, when March 15th hit and the announcement came out, um, I would say about 10, maybe 20% of restaurants in our area shut the doors forever. The 80, 79% responded by saying, oh, we're gonna do takeout which is sustainable, 1% did something unique. There's one restaurant in our area that teamed up with a food truck and they said, okay, people are sitting at home, they still want meals, um, but you know, driving a half hour is an inconvenience. What if we have a food truck doing hot food deliveries that can pack in you know, 50 to 100 meals in a truck and they can drive into your neighborhood, you can make a decision in the moment and have the meal delivered to you in the spot. That's unique. This company 
this restaurant's less of a restaurant, it's more of like a cooking center now. And they're rolling out these meals because their partnership with food trucks. That's the innovative thinking that comes about during change. And the, the ironic thing is, I think many people, myself included, for so long defaulted to change means the, the loss of something, but it equally means the gain of something new. We have to look for the new opportunity. It, it always exists. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just took that as a challenge because I've been through 9-11. I've been through so many different time periods where we've had to make some big adjustments. And my attitude was we've got to jump in and just do something different and new and get people's attention because this is not the normal situation and it's not going to be normal for a long time. You know, 2008 was the great recession. Yes. Great global. I'm calling 2020 the great reinvention. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no question there's economic shift and there's no question that, in my opinion, that there is going to be continued economic decline in many areas. But along with that, we'll see economic booms in small business. I looked now at every recession back to uh, 1928 or 29, which was the Great Depression. And I found there's a common recurring pattern. The first thing is there is a destabilized economy kind of bubbling below the surface that no one really sees. And then there's a specific trigger event that causes this awareness and the rapid decline. So back in 1929 was the move to the gold standard on an international basis. If you're around in the 70s with the OPEC oil crisis, I remember waiting, my mom and me in the backseat, waiting uh, in line to get your tank filled on a Tuesday if you had an odd number license plate. Mm -hmm. Well, the trigger event was OPEC. Uh, Fast forward to 2000, dot-com bubble, terrorist attack, Mm -hmm. 2008, housing collapse, 2020s, COVID. So we see this recurring pattern. The, the opportunity here, though, is out of every recession and depression, the business that turned the economy was always small business. Collectively, but there was a couple superstars in it. Uh, some modern names like Amazon, Google, Airbnb, all these businesses, Apple, came out of recessions. And uh, 2020 is going to be no different. This period of time, there are going to be businesses that rise to the top. And I think we have the right as small business owners to choose it to be us. Mm-hmm. It requires us to change the new need and satisfy it. And, and I also want to add this caveat. You don't have to have the next mega Amazon if that's not what you desire. The right size business can find you. But if we position this as the greatest opportunity, we're going to adjust, cater to, as a small business, leverage the opportunity. Because the big business says they can't adjust and change, not nearly as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the hierarchy that you discuss in the book. And I think it's brilliant the way you laid that out. Thank you. Uh, so it's the business hierarchy of needs is what I call it. It's a translation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is human needs. Um, with one great differentiator that we already identified, we are wired into ourselves. We know the Maslowian hierarchy instinctually. We know when we're hungry or thirsty or when there's harm uh, in our, you know, potentially upon us. But uh, when it comes to the business hierarchy of needs, we're not wired into our business. There's five levels of needs our businesses have. And this is true across all industries, all businesses. I studied thousands to do this. Um, and I found there's a common DNA strand. There's, there's five levels. And each level, there's five needs. So collectively, there's 25 needs. But we'll just talk about the levels. Mm-hmm. The first level of every business is sales. Sales is the creation of cash. Meaning, if you have no cash, no sales, you have no cash coming in. Your business is starved for oxygen. It is suffocating. 
So foundationally, we must bring in cash, cash flow. The next level above that is profit. The next need is extracting from that cash flow profit because uh, profit translates to st uh, st sustainability or stability. So sales creates cash, profit creates stability in your organization. But you always have to satisfy sales first. One little thing, and, and businesses already get confused here, is more sales is not necessarily a good thing. We simply need adequate sales to support profit. It's like building a structure. If, if I'm going to build a multi-story building, I don't start at the fifth floor in thin air. It's going to collapse upon itself. But additionally, I don't build a basement to support a skyscraper and I put a tool shed above it because it'll collapse within it. This works relationally. So I need enough sales to support profit. Once I have the profit system in place, the next need that presents itself is order or efficiency. This is the creation of, uh, of ongoing um, operations in the absence of any key linchpin employees or the owner themselves. If the business can run without me and continue to sustain and grow, I've achieved order. The next level above that is impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. This is where we deliver beyond the transaction that lives are transformed. And it's not the one-off. It's not the one great story that one client's like, I love you. It's every client consistently saying, my life has been transformed. The highest level is legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. This is where the business is designed to serve generationally. I'm not saying that you know, the next generation owns the business, but the business caters to generation after generation in absence of me. When I was studying owners, I think one of the most fascinating things that I found was in legacy where owners came to me and said, there was a day I woke up and realized as a business owner, I've never been a business owner. I've always been a business steward, meaning I had a responsibility to bring this entity to life, but it's about the entity, not about my involvement in it. It needs to continue. Mm -hmm. And with this hierarchy, just like our own personal hierarchy, it's, this isn't a ladder. You don't climb to the top and wave to people. You will move around. The foundation needs to be strong. I need to, my personal life, be breathing oxygen, uh, drinking water, eating food. Only once that's satisfied can I do more sophisticated things. And uh, at a certain point, it, it's subconscious. Like we're, we're breathing right now. People listening are breathing. We don't think about it. It's subconscious. Well, in our business, we have to get sales to an adequate level where you don't have to think about it. And then we can worry about profit and extracting profit and then build up. But similar to like a volcano is as we want to build our business bigger, if that's what we so desire, uh, it kind of erupts and it flows down and now the foundation's bigger. So as you build up, you will revert back to base levels. Like you'll revert back to sales to expand sales, which then therefore supports more profit. Profit and stability allows us to bring about more efficiency, which allows us to have systems to transform. And then we can build up again and again. That's mm -hmm. the business hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes a whole lot of sense because of, of course, if you don't have sales, you don't have business. <laughs> so you kind of right. have to start there. And, and, and sadly, it's so obvious and funny, but, but sadly, some businesses don't even think about that. Not-for-profits, Gail, are notorious for this. Mm -hmm. They say, you know what, we're going to change the world. We're going to make sure that we cure this disease. It's all focused on impact, which is wonderful. But they forget their version of sales, which is contributions. They forget profit, which is making sure the operation can stick around. Uh, they forget about order. It's just haphazard. And not-for-profits are notorious for the rate of collapse because they're trying to skip levels. And, and sadly, many for-profit businesses should be recategorized as not-for-profit because they, they try to skip ahead and you can't. 
Mm. I was just reading those statistics, which were stunning to me that only 40% of all businesses are profitable. That was just mind blowing. And yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and that's the funny thing. I know that statistic you're talking about. The funny thing is they identify profitability as that there is uh, an ability to sustain on cash. There's a little bit left over. Those statistics gets worse. There's only 17% that are able to post a profit distribution above a normalized salary for the owner, meaning that the owner say, I, I, if I had to replace myself, I'd had to hire someone, I'd pay them 100,000 a year, well, or whatever the number is. That should be my salary. A profit distribution in the traditional sense is a reward above and beyond a salary for the owner operator. So the, that statistic with the 40%, simply says the owner is making some money, but it doesn't, it doesn't have a bonus sitting there. It's not really fiscally healthy. It's only 17% that achieve that. that. That's a shocker to me. Actually, wow. I have it on my wall here. That's why I committed to eradicate industrial <laughs> yeah. poverty. Like that's yeah. my life's mission mm -hmm. because so many business owners struggle unnecessarily financially. Yeah, uh, that's stunning. 17%, that's worse than I thought. Yeah. Well, that brings us to what is a survival trap? So the survival trap is something uh, we can, you can almost do an experiment in your head, um, is something that um, so many business owners live by. It's the day-to-day, -day, just get through the day as opposed to move the business toward the vision. And here's what the experiment you can do in your head. It's three simple steps. In your mind, just put the letter A and put a circle around it in the center of your, a piece of paper on your mind. What A represents is where our business is now. That is the typical vantage point we have. We know what's going on now. We know what clients complaining. We know what employees struggling. We know all the nows. Well, you can, in your mind, draw, in this case, let's say three arrows in any direction you choose away from A. So you start at A and you draw away from A. A stands also for the apparent issues. Well, these arrows you draw, you can draw them in any direction, represent choice we can make. So we have the ability to make unlimited choice, but we have to choose a path. And the power of making a selection, a choice, is it gets us away from A. So it gives us relief if we make a choice that gets us out of A. But in this final step, step three, draw the letter B in the bottom center of that piece of paper and put a circle around that. That's what your business needs. That's the next thing. We want to, of course, go from A to B. But the question is, in our mind, how many of those arrows actually pointed to B? And if you're following along in your mind, probably none of the arrows, maybe one, why not all the arrows? I mean, shouldn't every choice be consistent with what the business needs? Mm. And the answer is very obvious. How can you draw an arrow toward B if you don't know where B is going to be? It's impossible. You can't. And that's the problem. We need to know what our business needs from us as opposed to what the business is experiencing alone. And therefore, we have to know where B is with absolute clarity. That's the vital need within this business hierarchy. Once you know that, we want to navigate around today's challenges, moving us to a permanent resolution uh, to where the business wants to go. But back to our analogy here, most cases we're simply escaping A and the next morning you wake up and you're in the next A and the next morning you're in the next A and we're moving in a circuitous pattern. There is one more scenario, which is actually the worst case scenario, is sometimes by chance, without knowing where B was going to be, you drew an arrow toward it. You made a choice consistently with it. How that manifests is for some of us, you know, we come into work, every day is a drag, we're, we're hustling and trying to push it through. And then one day, it feels like the miracle happens. Clients pay on time, employees are happy. Uh, it's 4.30 and I'm done for the day. I can go home and enjoy some quiet time. It's like, finally, it's arrived after all this effort. It just took me years to get here, but I'm here. 
And then the next day we return to work and it all falls apart again. Like, <laughs> what the hell? The reason is happenstance. Sometimes we make a decision consistent with what the business needs. We feel the immediate relief, but we weren't aware of where B was. We just happened to go in that direction, but we ended up in a new A, a new apparent. And we tried to escape that again, going away from B. And we started the cycle all over again. So the fix this next process pinpoints the B so you can get there. And once you get there, we find the C and you get there in the D and you finally move forward consistently and permanently. Mm, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it works. Think, well, and the best part is, is you have a lot of good data to back that up, which is so important. Yeah, from so, companies of all size, you know, in the book, I talked about stories like, uh, you know, major companies, Ole Miss, University of Mississippi, that's a, that's a company. Mm -hmm. um, and I know their financial structure may be a little different than yours um, and mine, but they're a company and they live by this. I talk about uh, a uh, air conditioning guy, um, uh, this guy named Tersh, and how he had been struggling to break this perceived glass ceiling and for years. And, and it's true. 15 minutes after doing the analysis, he knew exactly what his business needed. He implemented it 15 minutes later, and they were on course within a half hour. Within weeks, they were booming. Uh, they were achieving what they wanted to achieve, which ironically, in the air conditioning industry, the worst revenue period, which makes almost no sense at first blush, is the summer. Um, and the reason is, you think everyone needs air conditioning in the summer, which they do, but the summer is the repairs of the existing air conditioner. So there's lower cost point um, let revenue and you're running around like crazy. It's actually in the fall and the spring where you do the big projects to make your money. He was able to make summer the most profitable year or period of time they've ever had by focusing in on the one thing they needed to do. Mm, great. So are there other little tidbits that you could share with us? Some of the things that you've seen that are maybe the, the best thoughts that people have had to break through their they're stuck, period. Yeah, I, I think the default belief we have, the gut, and again, be careful of the gut for our business is we simply can sell our way out of things. It's probably the number one form of feedback I get is, oh, we just need to sell more. We want to be profitable, but it's not selling enough. And that's usually a bunch of bunk. It's not mm -hmm. true. Usually, most businesses that go through this analysis, if they're not profitable, have a profit problem, not a sales problem. They don't have a profit system to extract it out. Mm -hmm. um, some businesses say, you know, if we sell more, uh, we'll be able to hire and become efficient. That's usually bunk. Um, mm -hmm. If you're not efficient, you have an efficiency problem, not a sales problem. And we can bring the systems about. Other businesses told you are, are kind of trying to skip levels. You know, I've been around for 10, 20 years. I'm working on my legacy. Well, the business actually may need to function on sales. It may, may need to be. May, uh, may need that resolved. Mm -hmm. There was a, uh, a coffee shop. I also wrote their story in the book called Cottonwood Coffee. Uh, the owner of that business had been in business for 13 years. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm working on legacy. And he ran his analysis. There's a free analysis you can do. Uh, mm -hmm. It's in the book and you can, there's a website for it. But he did this analysis and I said, no, you got a sales problem. And not only that, you have the most fundamental sales problem, which is called lifestyle congruence. Sales needs to tie back to our own needs as an owner in our personal lives. Our, our personal lifestyle and our businesses' financials are integrated lockstep for small business owners. 100%. Yeah, he, he didn't address that. He was mm -hmm. kind of looking over that. 
well, the system forced him to do this analysis and he finally figured out what the business really needs to sell, which actually was less than what they're selling. He was so focused on growth and achieving legacy and opening stores and locations, he didn't focus on his own needs. He was struggling at home. He started to lament and hate his own business. So he went back to basics and it was a quick resolution, a quick analysis and he knew where he needed to be. It changed the trajectory of the business to grow actually at a slower rate, not to burn through cash. And um, he's achieved the lifestyle he's wanted very quickly. Mm, that's great. So what are the two layers within the business hierarchy of needs? Well, the business hierarchy of needs is broken into five levels and there are two layers. Mm -hmm. The first three layers, uh, uh, first three levels make layer one. Okay. Sales, profit, and uh, order. And mm -hmm. here's what it is. My mother, um, I actually just saw her this weekend, She's, oh, she's been driving my head, Mike, you have to give to get, you have to give to get. And uh, I hate to say this uh, on public national podcasts, but bullshit, mom, you lied to me. Mm. You don't give to get, you have to get in order to give. Meaning if I am not sustainable as a business, I can't contribute. We already talked about the give to get, mm -hmm. the not-for-profits who want to change the world and they're trying to give, 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 but they don't have any substance, no sustainability. The first three levels are what your business needs to get. You need to get sales. You need to get profit. You need to get efficiency in order to give legacy, to give impact. So it is about, you know, that old analogy, put your oxygen mask on first so you can breathe so that you can help other people breathe. That's what we have to do first. Get for your business in order to be a contributor to society. What are some businesses that navigate through this and how do they do that? Yeah, so you know, I refer to um, Ole Miss. I, I think it's a fascinating story. So I'll just I'll recap that. Ole Miss. Um, this is back about 20 years ago. So early 2000s. Notice that they have quite a few prospective students coming to campus, but very few applications compared to their contemporaries. Ole Miss is in the SEC conference. The Great University of Alabama, Auburn, Florida. They're all in the SEC, and they had much higher application rates. They asked why, and Ole Miss had a sales issue. Uh, I don't know if you know this, I didn't realize this, but in retrospect now, I'm like, this is how I made my decision on a school. The decision by uh, students is usually made within the first five minutes. That prospective student sees the campus, makes a decision based upon the beauty of the campus. Do I like it? Is this a place I could see myself? Ole Miss 20 years ago was known to have a very utilitarian, unattractive campus. It was just about mowing the lawns where these other campuses, these other campuses were beautiful. And um, so they went to their landscaping crew, their in-house crew and said, we got to beautify this place. And the, and the crew, the people closest to the problem said, we can't, we don't have enough time. We have a thousand acres here to mow. Uh, we're on a skeleton crew as is. We can barely in seven days a week maintain the property. And the, the university said, well, we need to beautify. What can we do? And the people closest to the problem had a solution. They said, you know, mowing, um, the most efficient form of mowing is straight long lines. But Ole Miss had these low hanging tree limbs. So when the mowers would come to the tree limbs, you had to kind of jog the mower around it. They had mulch patterns that were geometrical squares and stuff like that. You had to jog the um, mower around it. They had garbage cans, not on the sidewalks, but on the grass. So they had to trim around. They get off the mower and start trimming. The, the landscaping crew said, let's raise the limbs, which actually beautifies a tree, put to 10 feet so we can go right under it. Um, let's change the mulch patterns to sweeping patterns where we can go with it as opposed to having to jog around it. Let's put the garbage cans on the sidewalk. 
And by doing this, they were able to cut their time in half. So it didn't take seven days to maintain uh, the property. It took three and a half days, which then availed three and a half more days for beautification projects. Ole Miss now has the reputation for being one of the most beautiful campuses in the SEC conference, perhaps one of the most beautiful campuses in the nation. And shocker of shocks, the application rate skyrocketed. They are getting the cream of the crop students because of how the campus presents itself. This is the use of the business hierarchy of needs. In many cases, we're just like, why don't we have enough applicants? Oh, we got to run a better marketing campaign. We should have better Facebook ads. But they got to the root of it. They had what was called a prospect conversion issue. Once you identify that weak link, we ask a simple question, well, why? What's the reason we're not converting prospects? We go into this investigatory stage and they found it's the presentation of campus. With that key piece of data and a factual reason why it wasn't working, they set out to make a solution and it changed the university forever. That's amazing. I love that yeah. story. I Jim McManus is, by the way, I interviewed him. He's the head of groundskeeping, shared the story. I took some of the secrets and I use it in my own home. <laughs> and sure enough, the house looks nice, the property looks nicer, and it's easier to maintain. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. Okay. Well, I, I know we're getting close on time, but I just want to end with this question of how do people and how do businesses get started today using your system? I think a traditional author is like, go get the book, and, but I'm going to be non-traditional here. Um, don't get the book necessarily first. First step is I would go to fixthisnext.com because we set up a free evaluation there. And truly within the next five minutes, you can pinpoint that weak chain link in your business that desperately needs to be resolved. It will pinpoint it for you. Then once you have it, I think maybe it will help to have the book to guide you through the process of resolving it. But let's find what the problem is and we can do it in the next five minutes. So go to fixthisnext.com. It's the best place to get started. Perfect. Well, that is so great. And I love all of your books. And I know some of my clients, we were talking in the last week or so, we've had a couple of boardroom retreats, which is our mastermind group for a million plus. And uh, a few people are, were talking about your pumpkin plan. And I love it. You know, yes. And some were talking about profit first. So we have some big advocates for your books. Well, and I'm big advocates of them. I, I love this success. <laughs> Well, and it's so great to see them actually using it. And I just did another podcast last week with one of our clients who said that uh, when she came to me a couple of years ago, she was she had 1% net profit and she was in tears during her VIP day. And now today she's, she won one of our awards for the most growth in her net profit. And she credits Profit First for really keeping her on task and putting the money in the right account so that she now has reserves and she's paid off all of her debt and she's really in a whole different place as a result of paying attention to what you had to say. Thank you for sharing that, Gail. That lights yeah. me up. I mean, I really truly feel my purpose on our planet is to support folks in that way. I also believe, and this is selfish, that her success will support her family, her community, yes. her state or country, our, our world. And that's selfish because that comes back to me. It comes back to all of us. Mm -hmm. Small business success determines the financial health of our globe. So I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, I knew you would. And I, we have a lot of other success stories like that. And I'll share those from time to time. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much for being here on the show today. And I know that you helped a lot of people with your ideas. And as you said, you people can go and get the first step, which is at fixthisnext.com and get the assessment and figure out what to fix. 
and then they'll be on the path to know what they need to do beyond that. Yep. I hope so. Do it now. And Gail, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was great having you. Good to see you again. Good seeing you. To learn more about Mike and get access to a treasure trove of entrepreneurial tips, visit MikeMichalowitz.com and follow Mike McCallowitz on Instagram.